Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. and welcome to the Proactive Caregiving Podcast. As a CPA with over 20 years as an industry accountant, Jessica stepped away from the corporate world to become a full-time caregiver for her mother. Having learned invaluable lessons along the way, she is now here to share those with you and to invite you to join her on this caregiver's journey. Here is your host, Jessica Cannon. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I am the proactive caregiver, and I specialize in educating others on how to be proactive by empowering you, the caregiver. If you cannot take care of yourself, then you cannot take care of your loved one. You know, many caregivers have endured their journey in the middle while working a career and balancing care for a spouse, children, parents, extended family, or even friends. The middle has become even tougher for caregivers as the world struggles to find a new normal and rebound from the effects of COVID. For some, isolation was not new to their way of life as a caregiver, but for others, the added challenges only created more grief. I know I wanted to stop struggling to survive and finally live a life I was intended to live, but You know, although experiencing grief from the loss of a loved one, relationship, or a job is part of life, this kind of grief makes it hard to see how life can continue on the flip side of the grief. Feeling like you are losing yourself along this journey while you care for everyone else is somewhat normal. And even though it's very normal, there is a better way to step through this journey without losing ourselves. So I want to encourage, stop letting stress, anxiety, depression, frustration, and even anger control your emotional stability and wreck your physical health. Because men and women deal with stress in a different way. But overall, we all are touched by grief. And in 2015, the ratio of caregivers between women to men was a 60-40 split. During 2020, pre-COVID, this ratio shifted to include more men by a 51 to 49% split. Even though men and women deal with stress differently, grief affects our heart in much of the same way through inflammation. The heartbreak of grief can increase blood pressure and the risk of blood clots. We're all having to learn how to be a caregiver to some degree while supporting our own form of self-care, which is why I wanted my next guest to help shed some light on what it looks like to live in the middle. Pat Shevlin is a best-selling author and certified life coach. She is living proof that a multi-generational approach in caring for your family can still give you the flexibility and freedom to do the things you want to do and live your life with greater peace and joy. Her newest book, Living Life in the Middle, The Caregiver's Guide to Healing, Hope, and Harmony Through Multigenerational Living, provides the steps and tools to help caregivers create a life that provides freedom and flexibility to pursue their dreams while still supporting their family. And this is so very important. So thank you so much, Pat, for coming on with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jessica. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. You know, I have to admit that years ago, when I was in my early 20s, trying to move away from family for my parents was more important because I wanted to start my new life and have my own house rules. But you know, coming back, I didn't expect 20 years later that I would be living with mom at the capacity that we were living together. 
What was that like for you as you gradually approached this multi-generational living? Well, it was interesting because like you, you can't wait until you can get out and about and be independent. And, and my mother taught me to be independent and go out on my own. And I'm the youngest of four living children. Mm -hmm. I'm the only girl. So as my parents started to age, that caregiving really rested and landed with me, especially mm -hmm. as my mom got older. And as I was approaching my, I was in my fifties mm -hmm. and you're thinking, wow, you know, this is the time of life. My kids are mm -hmm. now grown and out of the house. Things are cool. I can go do some traveling with my husband <laughs> and have some fun. And then all of a sudden my mom just really started getting old and mm -hmm. it was a struggle for her to stay in her apartment. My dad had died 30 years ago mm. and it was a struggle. So I, it just naturally seemed the right thing to do. My husband and I said, why don't you move in with us? We'll invite you to move in with us if you would like to do so. And she realized that it was that time. Mm. So then all of a sudden now I have an elderly mom living with us and it changed life. It wasn't mm. that we had all that freedom and flexibility anymore. Of course definitely changes life. And thankfully she was willing to do it because I know that's another add to this, another scenario where not everybody's willing and ready to do that. Well, interestingly, she was willing and we made it as an invitation. So it wasn't a forced issue, but once she actually moved in mm -hmm. and and in your 80s, you know, when you start getting older to have that independence feel like it's it's gone. Right. She wasn't driving anymore. We went through a lot of challenging times, emotional challenging times, because she almost felt like she was forced into the situation mm. and blamed me sometimes, you know, that I wouldn't be here if, if you hadn't invited me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was one of those things where it's just like, you just need to take a deep breath and, mm -hmm. and realize that it's the the dramatic change in their lives. Right. And as a registered nurse and having worked with the elderly for most of my life, I understood that. But when you're the child and the caretaker, it can really take its toll on you mm -hmm. because you get frustrated and don't understand why they're mad at you when all you're trying to do is help them. Right. And that that's definitely something I had to adjust to. It was hard to take it. When to know, does, was this meant personally? which, you know, of course it's not gonna be personal. It's just their way of adapting. I know I had a lot of comments that I got from my mom early on when she first moved in with us that, oh, it was kind of like, is this how it's gonna be? Are we gonna be fighting all the time? But it's that adjustment. We were both adjusting. Right, just a quick story. I was helping a friend at the time, my friend's father wanted to stay at home and he was challenging for all of his children. So they wanted to hire caregivers to come in. So I said, well, I could do that a few hours a week, right? Mm -hmm. No problem, he lived just right down the street. I said, I'd be glad because I've known him my whole life and I really enjoyed being with him and spending time with him. And I had an aha moment. He mm -hmm. was my greatest life's teacher because I realized that his family really struggled being around him and took everything personally that he mm. said. But as a but as going in as a caregiver who wasn't his family member, I just loved spending time with them and I didn't take anything personally. So what my aha moment was is I need to do that with my mother when she's not in a great mood or when she's right. maybe, you know, being um crabby with me. I can't take it personally. And so then I would put on my caregiver's nurse's hat mm -hmm. and I would just kind of compartmentalize that I wasn't really caring for my mother right then when she was in that frame of mind. I was really taking care of an elderly woman who needed my help. And that helped me to not get too wrapped up into my own emotions, feeling like, why are you treating me this way? Right. It's interesting you say it that way, because I had to, I learned and I had to do this same thing going forward. And at some point it was like, am I too detached? Am I trying to look at this at too much of an objective way? Like this is my patient, no longer my mother. And so it was that challenge of being the good caregiver versus the good daughter. 
Yes. Yes. Perfect way to put it. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, it's great that, and I think it's awesome that you had your nurse experience to apply to that because that's one of the things that did create a lot of anxiety for me because stepping out of the counting world, it was like, I didn't know anything. And so taking her blood pressure or um, checking her sugar, that made me so nervous. And so talk about not taking comments personally when I had to check her blood sugar and the comments really came out more so than any other way. Um, how would how did that help you as you were caring for your mother, being the nurse and not the daughter? Um, I think, be, well, because I knew the medical background piece of it, but I also knew being a coach has helped also. I mean, everything that I've done in my life, but I knew when to um, kind of retreat a little bit even when she needed, you know, me to rub her feet or to do some kind of form of, you know, bathe her and that type of thing to allow her to have some decision-making like, mm -hmm. okay, if we don't do it right now, what about we do it in 15 minutes? And she felt like she had more control then. So I really mm -hmm. encourage caregivers to ask their loved one, the mm -hmm. person that they're taking care of, give them options, you know, allow them to feel like they do have some control in their life, because I think that's the hardest thing mm -hmm. is to feel like you're, you'd have no decision making whatsoever left. And, and so, you know, and I learned it the hard way. Um, mm -hmm. I, it, there was lots of times that I called it failing forward. You know, you, you'd <laughs> fall forward and fall on your knees and just think, oh my gosh. And then I'd have to try it again. My mom right. lived with us for almost eight years and just passed um, on January 16th of this year. So oh, there was wow. lots of times that I failed forward and we figured it out. And, and then as she started deteriorating more, um, things changed differently. And so you just, you need to kind of mm -hmm. have that flexibility and, and that ability to breathe and take care of yourself is what you started talking about is we need to take care of ourselves in order to be able to help our loved ones. Absolutely. It, you have this evolving new normal and every time there was a new normal, it, I would build a routine where I had my morning workout and I had my private time before I stepped into the day with mom. And then we'd hit that new normal and that routine would get changed. And it kind of threw me off and, the more I felt like I was not starting the day in my my normal routine, it's just I could feel the tension between us more. And it just that new normal just kept adjusting it day after day after day. And it was like it took a while before I learned the compassion, having compassion for her as she adjusted, but also giving myself compassion to adjust with her. Yep, being kind, being kind to ourselves and and knowing that we're human and we're doing the best. And the why we do this is because we are heart-centered. You know, it is important for us to take care of our, we wouldn't do it otherwise. Right, right. And, and you know, so let, uh, remembering that we're doing it out of the goodness of our hearts, even when our blood pressure is rising up or <laughs> things are being taken away, yeah, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it, it is huge. And I learned... Um, from a teacher of mine uh, with Qigong, I worked for an ancient Chinese medicine practitioner and teacher. Nice. And one of the sayings that always resonated for me is we cannot give a cup without having a gallon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's old Japanese or Chinese saying, but it just made sense to me that when we deplete ourselves, which I certainly have done, mm -hmm. I'm a caregiver. Absolutely. I'm, you know, thinking I'm superwoman all the time mm -hmm. and I deplete myself and I wasn't able to give fully. And when I stepped back and thought I need to have some time, I need a little bit of respite. I need a little mm -hmm. bit of this to just, I need to go for a walk. Right. Then I could replenish my gallon so that I could lovingly give that cup to her yeah, and talk to my family. Exactly. So you don't give the intent is to give everything you have and give the best, but it may eventually be that bitter cup of water if you don't right. take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you had your mother for 
several years. At what point did you transition to add in yet another generation to the your caregiving journey? Oh, interesting. Well, when my mom moved in, my son actually was renting the lower level of our house. So we already had my husband and I, and then our son, who was a young adult at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we moved mom in. So we had three generations going on there. Um, but, th- you know, that was fine. But then my son met this wonderful woman. <laughs> and she actually was kind of like an orphan. She was adopted from India. She only her she was adopted by a single mother here in the States. Mm. Her mother had died. Her grandmother, her maternal grandmother and grandfather had died. So she was kind of on her own. You know, she had an aunt mm. and uncle and cousins, but she family was so important to her, you know, because she mm-hmm. never really had that solid foundation except for when her mom adopted her. So they said, well, you know, maybe what we can do is buy a big enough home where we can house everybody. Mm -hmm. and it was perfect because I was laid off I was a corporate executive Mm -hmm. um, and we had a couple of homes and a couple of mortgages and it was like wow that kind of makes sense that could help financially you know my husband and I would keep our retirement home Mm -hmm. which is north of us but we could all get together and so we really didn't think about the benefits beyond kind of a financial thing at the time true and so My son and daughter-in-law, they bought this large home that had a mother-in-law suite. And that's where my mom lived, was in this beautiful little suite where she had a little bedroom and a little TV room and a bathroom of her own. And what I found out over the years is this was so awesome because if my husband and I wanted to go away for a weekend at our other home, I had built-in caregivers. They were willing to (laughs) help out and stay with mom and my mom was didn't need like 24 7 care she needed someone overnight we don't want to leave her and right. overnight or cook for herself but she was ambulatory she was able to get up and brush her teeth and dress herself but i still wouldn't have ever left her alone and so that actually you know in the beginning years was wonderful because it gave me respite mm-hmm. to be able to get away once in a while yes that's a very huge stress relieving benefit yeah and then my son and daughter-in-law had a baby. <laughs> One more generation. So four generations strong. So we, we were pretty proud of that. But what's interesting, Jessica, is during the pandemic, mm-hmm. in our neighborhood, we live in a little cul-de-sac outside in a um, bedroom community of the Twin Cities in Minneapolis-St. Paul. And we had five families that had some form of multi-generational living going on or caregiving because we had one family you know because people lost their jobs Mm -hmm. so we had one family where their daughter and her husband and their young son came and moved into the basement because you know job loss and Mm -hmm. saving money we had another where grandma did not live with them but she came every day to do the Um, caregiving of their young child so that the two of them could work from home we have right next door we have four generations um, where they brought in the 90 some year old grandma great grandma and so they have four generations just like we had Mm -hmm. so I mean it was just like I looked around and I thought wow this has really changed life Mm -hmm. you know statistics that you you know were talking at the beginning of the show you know years ago well, in my mom's time, it wasn't uncommon for all these generations to live together. They were farming communities. People mm-hmm. were home on the farm, that type of thing. But then the Industrial Revolution and then, you know, people yep. started working outside the home and nursing homes were popping up all over the place. And we had assisted care and all of that. Mm-hmm. But times are changing. And now it's like we've almost like circled back to let's let's take care of our family and and create that little village in our own homes again. And especially with COVID where, you know, people couldn't even go and visit their loved ones. Right. Oh, and and that's very painful with all the uncertainty and everything that was happening to not be able to see your loved one. That's just as stressful. Um, Yes. It's, and that's the thing is just as you said, the way the industrial world changed us and we started stepping out of the home, then there was also this shift and change in the cultural perspective as 
do we have to have our loved ones live with us? And, and then it turned into more of this, oh, all you have to do is buy your long-term care policies and then your family's taken care of and you don't have to worry about that. But life continues to evolve and the way of living is more and more expensive. And sometimes people don't have the policy and sometimes they do. But even with that, the added benefit of having the close-knit family together is just it it's amazing and it gives so much more than just care right my mom actually because of being in our home and i'm not saying that it was because i'm a nurse or anything but i think it was because she could be in a home environment and surrounded mm-hmm. by family right. she graduated from hospice twice in oh, fact we were just yes. going to put her on her third stint um like a a few days before she passed away, mm-hmm. which was, you know, and I mean, she was 96 years old when she passed in January. So she's had a beautiful life. Right. Um, right. But I really believe that, you know, those couple of times she kind of took turns for the worse. We put her on hospice. And then because of the care that she was getting and being mm-hmm. surrounded by family, she actually healed from that and, you know, got kicked off of hospice. She graduated. <laughs> a different kind of graduation and that's what happens with all that added extra care and especially with your loved ones nearby i yeah i can see that's exactly what would happen yeah and it's blessing to all of you guys to be able to experience her and see her all the way up i mean 96 years that's fabulous she had a very long life and the generations in there and that's another thing i i see um and even experience with myself the disconnect between the generations i didn't get the opportunity to grow up with my grandparents and not many of my aunts and uncles even didn't get to grow up with them so that sense of family and that what that close net means and what i could have gained from i don't know even the the family tree for example I found myself going towards um, Ancestry.com just to figure out who my uh, relatives were because I didn't grow up with that. Right. My and my like for me, my, my those were the people. My mom's relatives, my dad's relatives, but especially my mom's, my great aunts, and and all of these. I knew the family history, and they were like my aunties, you know, mm. even though they were a couple of generations, and. Um, what was really beautiful, you had talked about grief in your opening talk, and um, I'm a grief coach, mm-hmm. so I, I work with grieving families and especially grieving moms, and my mom happened to, I had a brother who died before I was born, he was, mm-hmm. he was a baby, four months old, and so she had some real deeply held grief, and we really didn't start addressing it, or we never talked about my brother, I mean, it was just, a, it was a taboo subject. But when he was going to turn 60, so this was in 2012, she finally opened up mm-hmm. and I could, we, she and I did a lot of work as far as allowing her to release a lot of that anger and frustration and abandonment and guilt and all of those things that she held on for 60 years. But what I'm getting to is then I had a granddaughter. So her great granddaughter lived with us mm-hmm. and she healed my mom's heart. She oh, literally yeah. healed my mom's heart. My mom would smile these big, broad smiles and toothy grins, which she never did my whole life into my adult life until this little child. And they had like the special communication. And it was like, mm. wow, that was just she, my little granddaughter, my mom's great granddaughter absolutely healed my mom's heart. And that was like the best thing possible to see that happen in my mom's lifetime. Yes, that's so beautiful. Oh, that those are things that I still to this day I wish I try to get my mom to be able to heal from her childhood trauma and it's it, I'm not the grief coach but trying to approach her with it it's very difficult which kind of goes on to the next thing I wanted to to bring up was you know in the corporate world I recall having to take uh, Myers-Briggs tests and things like this that would identify my strengths and weaknesses, um, what they considered values to the company. But when you're in that multi-generational living and trying to identify those pain points, like the grief you just spoke of, how do you approach that 
so that you can find out and figure out what those personal strengths and values and personality styles are. Well, I actually, um, in the book, which um, I had, I've just written, I give some different tools and I happen to use because I, my coaching certification was based on positive psychology. I use a tool, which is free on the internet. Um, it's called the VIA character strengths. And so that helps mm. give, you know, what are your strengths? And they're all strengths. So we don't talk about the weaknesses, right. but we do right. know that our strengths can also be our Achilles heels at times. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was in the corporate world forever. Um, but you know, where might we be able to pull and use up our strengths to help us with a challenging time or where might our strengths actually like be causing us some problems? Mm. You know, I, one of my top strengths is the ability to love and be loved. Great <laughs> strengths, right? For a nurse and a daughter and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, when we talk about when, um, let's say my brother would ask how my mom was doing and, and if I took it the wrong way and thought that they were questioning how we were taking care of her, that strength of to love and be loved, I felt like I wasn't being loved. You know, Mm. it's like I was being questioned, which was not accurate, but that was my own mind. And so it actually ended up to not be a strength of mine at that time. So I had to take a look at what's really getting in my way when I'm in an upset or I'm frustrated, what strength might be getting in my way and what strength might I be able to use to help me move through that? So that's one of the tools that I use. Um, I also uh, have a wonderful woman who I met um, through a mastermind program where we were writing books and Robin Wynn, and she taught me about human design and human design is this really fascinating. You can run these human design charts and it's based upon your birthday Um, the time of birth, where you were born. And it's like a um, part of the Chinese I Ching. It's, it's part of astrology, um, Kabbalah. It takes all of these different um, resources and kind of pulls them together and gives you who your human design is, who you came here, who you were born to be. Hmm. And it's fascinating because it's so darn accurate. I mean, it's just like, okay, it can sound a little wooey, but it's like, this is so (laughs) accurate. And it gives you the strengths and it, it says weaknesses there, but it's so accurate as far as, you know, I, if you're born a certain way, you know, a certain, a generator, you're here to work, you're, you're here to find your life's work. Mm -hmm. Um, Frustration might be what gets in your way because you want to find your life's work. And so I actually use that with my clients because it helps them when they're looking to make changes in their lives. And I work with people who are caregivers and like, what do you need to do to find that balance? What do you need to do to help yourself? And so we use these strengths and also having, they understand what are some of the challenges that they have. So at least they're aware of it um, and that they can be cognizant and not let those challenges totally disrupt everything that's going on in their life. So that, yeah, so it's kind of like Myers Briggsy kind of stuff. Only it's the non-corporate. It's a little bit more human, well, right. it's a human design, and and of course it's more based on psychology, like the positive psychology that the VIA does. I like that because, and it's funny. It's it's not the woo-woo, but I know exactly what you mean, and I prefer <laughs> it because that was one of the things that stepping into this role, like when I was in that corporate environment, I had myself. I figured out, I knew what I needed to do. I knew what my expectations were. I knew what I didn't want to do. You know, I just had an idea of who I was and who I needed to be. But then stepping into this caregiver role, it was more of a, I don't know, that question of who am I started to come up. What are my, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Where's, where am I supposed to take this? And so that's, was one of the changes that, going into this kind of material and figuring it out, it just, it made a big difference for me and pointing out those strengths and the lesser strengths. Like I know it's hard to say weaknesses, but the areas that would cause me more grief, I guess. 
Yeah, and I call that that's the that's um the first step in my I call my program the balance program because <laughs> that's what we need. Lord, we need balance, right? Yes. So the first one is I named it the Bodhi, that chapter, because the Bodhi is where Buddha sat underneath the Bodhi tree and and that's where he received his enlightenment. And it's like that's what we need to do is we need to have the enlightenment of who are we and what has changed for us. Yes. And what does that mean? Because we're not the same person. The minute that we start in that caregiving role, mm-hmm. everything changes. Exactly. The minute we the minute we step out, you know, now I've been dealing with the change of I don't have her to take care of 24/7. Mm-hmm. Now what? right right and how do I fill some of that time and and all of that so it's very helpful to be able to assess where we're at and and I also have people do like life assessments and surveys and and emotional barometer surveys just to see so that they have a good idea what's my what's my foundation where am I starting what's the baseline right as we're working through various steps so that you know what you can kind of be working on and, and see small wins, you know, for caregivers, a small win might be that, oh my gosh, I had enough time to go take a tub bath. Yes, exactly. Those are definitely, and you can't diminish that. That is what it is. And it brings all kinds of benefit for your moods even. Yes. Yes. My walks are my sacred journeys. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. And the breeze from the air, the sound of the birds, even the feel of the sun on my skin. Walks are very transformative for me. Yep. Yeah. But getting the time to do it is another challenge <laughs> or making the time for it. That, that is it is structuring and trying to carve out those minutes and carve out a few minutes here and a few minutes there pretty soon. You might actually have 30 minutes, you know, to right. spend yourself. So as you help the clients figure out their strengths and their values, is it possible for them to do it together as that multi-generational family? Or because at some point, once you figure out what your personality type is and what your strengths are, then you have to start to address, okay, now that I know who I am and what my strengths are, I need to set some boundaries in place. So how do you help the clients be able to set some boundaries around in that multi-generational living style? Good question. Um, that's where some of those where I failed forward a lot. Um, <laughs> in, you know, I think when you find yourself in an upset mm-hmm. and it's kind of a repetitive one, like something is just irritating you mm-hmm. and it's the same thing that's irritating you again and again and again, because face it, you know, you're living in a multi-generational family, even if the, if it's two of you, Mm-hmm. You know, your, your parent and yourself. And if you find things that are continually kind of annoying you or creating an upset within you, then it's time to sit back and say, okay, what's going on here? And how might I be able to create a boundary? What would a boundary look like that would help me not get into that upset? What would that look like? Mm-hmm. So in our multi-generational home, you know, and I speak about this in my book, and I just want people to know that if they want the book, I'll give you the link. They can get a free ebook on that. Nice. So it gives you all the information to do this on your own. I have a granddaughter, right? And so I have a son and a daughter-in-law and they're mommy and daddy. And it would be very easy to give my opinions or share my wisdom <laughs> <laughs> or lack thereof of taking care of my granddaughter and that was a boundary that I had to put in place so that I knew that I wasn't stepping in over their boundaries mm-hmm. and that I needed to be grandma. You know, I'm not a parental figure. I'm, I'm grandma here. Right. And that's a little bit different. I'm supportive. I'm here to help support them. But that was a boundary that when you're living together, because it would be very easy to start kind of taking over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was one of the boundaries. And when you have a family member that you're caregiving and let's say other family members, you know, they want to come visit or whatever the case may be. And this one's a tough one because I never wanted my brothers to feel like they couldn't come see my mom Mm. because we absolutely had the open door. It's like, this is, this is her home. You can come visit her, Mm -hmm. but it's like tentatively like 
you know, could you give us a call maybe an hour ahead of time or what, because it still is right. the home. Right. And we have a lot of things going on or if we were having other guests there. So just so that there was some understanding. And so some of those were boundaries and, and it is being careful of how we set the boundaries to come in and, you know, lay the fence down, put the poles up and say, you're not going to cross this and be very hard about it is not probably the best way to go, but it's really sitting down and figuring out um, fluidly how you, you all can make this work. Right. And that's where the, sometimes the family drama flares up where those boundaries are not identified or if they are, they're not respected. And so fighting for space and trying to claim space in within that multi-generational, that's where it starts to become a little bit more hard to, to deal with. Absolutely. And I see I'm on many Facebook pages where or groups where people, you know, it's stressful taking care of your family member like mm -hmm. that 24 seven, you know, that I know that. Yes. And so I can see the stress and the strain. And I would just encourage that, you know, hold a family meeting, mm -hmm. do it so that, you know, everybody is there and can really talk about it and doing it with, you know, breathing deeply and calming yourself before, you know, exploring what boundaries need to be put in place because generally people will come together, you know, they'll, they're, they're going to help each other and, and having the person that you're caregiving can be a part of that, you know, that allows them to have some, you know, say in, in how things could be, you know, so, like with my mother, sometimes she just didn't feel like she was up to going out. Mm. And so I, I encouraged her that she needed to be the one, not, not leave it to me to tell my brothers that she wasn't up for it, but that she actually, because she was being heard differently then, mm. than if I would have said, you know, she's not up for going out. It could have been taken negatively, right. but having my mom and being there to support her, they understood that better and acknowledged it and, you know, agreed to it so but it really is about trying to do everything as gracefully as possible but not giving in and just becoming the you know where you're giving 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 and you're not getting right. that that relief and that breath that you need to be a strong caregiver right because a lot of that constant giving and feeling like you're giving in and not being able to have your boundaries respected that's what creates a lot of resentment absolutely Absolutely. I've been there, done that. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, and once you start down that, that kind of road, and then you have bigger emotions and other triggers that come into this. So how do you recommend for your clients to deal with those negative emotions within their family? Well, I think I, I have a couple of different tools in there. I think that we're all born with beautiful hearts and you look at a little baby and we're all good and, and just in my mind, God's little creations, right? right? And, you know, we get into these families and then we may, you know, even as children have border wars and things like that, just because of where we are in the family setting mm -hmm. or whatever trauma has gone on with our, within our own families. Mm -hmm. But I encourage that if you're having difficulty with someone is to see them as a little child. Mm -hmm and dress them up as a three-year-old in their little short pants and little shoes and, and socks, or maybe a little dress, you know, and see them as a three-year-old and see what they're really looking for and view the other person as a child and see what is it that they're really looking for that they're kind of fighting back for. Hmm. You know, it may just be that they just want a little love right. or, you know, they just want to be seen and heard. And when I do that, it's like, even in the political force of, over the years, you know, mm -hmm. I look at people in political powers, I put, you know, presidents in little shorts and look at them as three-year-olds. <laughs> what is it that they're really looking for in, in this world, you know? And, right. and a lot of times it just goes back to, I'm just looking to be loved or I just want people to like me. Yeah, because you know? when it comes down to it, we are, we do, each of us has that little inner child. And many times that inner child is the inner wounded child. Right. And I love the way you said that, because when I did this a couple of years ago, um, struggling with one of my siblings, I, I would 
pray to God and say, please help me see her the way you see her so that I mm-hmm. stop seeing her as whatever it was at the, the, whatever the negative emotion was at that time. And this idea and this vision mentally comes in as seeing her when she was six or seven years old. And it reminded me to see her as someone who is vulnerable, someone who wants love, someone who wants to be heard, needs to be heard. And it was like, okay, I see. I get this now. Yes. So you are, yeah. So spot on, right? You know, I mean, because the innocence of a child and, you know, for all of us, we all have our little bags that we carry on our shoulders and our little stuff. And, you know, so that that's one of the things. And I think, you know, telling ourselves a little different story, like I'm going to use my mom, for example, my mom was a very strong woman. Mm -hmm. And I was not exactly probably, I didn't follow her path in terms of you know what she would have probably liked me to be and see (laughs) um I was a wild child when my parents got divorced I you know I was you know very obstinate in my own way and challenged her in a lot of ways um but I saw her as very controlling and judgmental and all these different things and Mm -hmm. when I started especially when I was writing this book I thought you know I created that. Mm -hmm. I created her need to be that way because I wasn't behaving in a way that was going to be helpful. So I was behaving in a way that she had to be a bit more controlling. Mm -hmm. She needed to judge what my actions were and hold me to account. And once I started looking at that, I'm like, wow, you know, what a gift she gave me Mm -hmm. and that I had as big a part to play in my perception of her as she did, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it helped me to look at her very differently. And also to see, wow, that I must, if I would have been her in her shoes, taking care of me as a 15 year old, man, I don't know how she did it. And she still loved me <laughs> through it and still loved me until she died at the age of 96 and a half, you know? Right. So, so yeah, so part of it is just kind of uh, reframing and retelling our story in a way that you know, putting ourselves in the other person's shoes, seeing them yes. as a small child. And I do talk about, there's a couple of forgiveness prayers mm-hmm. that are very powerful. One is the Ho'oponopono, which is a very simple little mantra. It's a Hawaiian prayer of forgiveness. Just saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. It's very simple. And I actually used that with my mother and it was very healing in regards to, and that's in my book, but when I did it, it was very healing for her and healing for me. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the Buddhist prayer of forgiveness. And I really love this one because it talks about, you know, sometimes we do need to forgive. We need to find it because we're kind of hanging on to that and it's making us miserable. And this prayer of forgiveness, it's basically, I don't have it memorized here, but basically what it's saying is that for anybody who has harmed me in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly through their own confusions, I forgive them. And I thought, wow, I really Mm. like that because it is confusions. We would not, most people are not going to go out and purposely try to harm someone. Oh, right, right. Right. And so then this prayer also says, I forgive myself for any times that I've harmed myself knowingly or unknowingly through my Mm. own confusions. But the one I really love is if I'm not ready to forgive someone right now, I forgive myself for that. So Mm. it's like, you're just, you release all that expectation on yourself. And I found that as being very, very helpful um, to repeat that prayer a lot while my mom was living with me. It, mm. it just became something that was very healing for me. Absolutely. Just thinking it through as you were saying it, it felt very calming to me to even think it and mentally recite that because forgiveness is sometimes can be hard. Like you mentioned, the a, some families have their trauma and whatever it may be, and then they find themselves in a caregiving scenario, whether they are in the middle or not, or that's what's keeping them from being able to enjoy being in the middle. That forgiveness is an absolute game changer in that sense for them in, in this multi-generational living. Right, right. And just, you know, and like I say, when I think multi-generational, my book, I tailored it to like, you know, 
several generations, but you and your mom are a multi-generation, right? It's two different right. generations. Right. So yeah, and and the forgiveness, and we all do have our traumas, dramas, our history, mm-hmm. you know, as we walk this journey. And then when we're taking care of someone else, a lot of times those things pop up. And like you said, you know, with siblings, things can show up and, and it's like we repeat some patterns that maybe we did as children. And so I just found that, and forgiveness isn't easy, but, you know, there's the science out there that we can, through our intention, we can actually change its epigenetics and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So how we speak to ourselves. Right can change, you know, even how our DNA is behaving. And so my master, Master Chunyi Lin, who's my teacher for the Qigong, Spring Forest Qigong, he had a horrific life in China and some really deep, challenging things. And this is what I learned from him. Just keep telling yourself that I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And fake it till you make it. Oh, you yeah. Know? Pretty soon it's just going to come in and, and it'll just dissipate over time, as long as we have that intention. And then it's important to do that because the other day I actually came across a friend of mine shared something on Facebook and the image of a woman who is pregnant. And then they specify the actual eggs inside of the young daughter within the womb. And so you have this ancestral relationship with your family and that DNA transfers from the mother to the child, to the child to be someday, eventually. Yeah. And it, it's like it, the DNA continues. And so whatever emotions that her, the mother at that time, the pregnant mother at that time had feelings that she's struggling, trying to forgive herself from, for all kinds of reasons, that seems like it's passed down to the fetus and even down to the DNA of the eggs that the fetus is carrying. And so it's, it's interesting I'm laughing because I just had that exact same conversation with my daughter-in-law today <laughs> about how those eggs carry over like for what, three generations? Yes. Like, oh my gosh. So when, when a fetus is a little female fetus already has the the ovaries and the eggs, it's like fascinating. So I'm just yes. laughing because like, isn't that funny that we're speaking to this? Well, it's obviously we're on the same way here because that's, it's <laughs> healing and it's, I didn't realize this until I had my own children that my mother had her own trauma and then she had me and my sisters and she's trying to raise these kids with her own trauma. And of course she didn't believe in therapy um, in her generation. And so now that I have my own kids, uh, our sons, I'm trying to help as much as possible. Like let's break this cycle. I don't want their future kids to carry on with this emotional trauma, just because that's what they were used to growing up in. Right. Yeah. Well, and then I talk about that in the book because my son and his father, my first husband, his, his father had a lot of generational wounding Mm -hmm. from his father. And Mm -hmm. so it kind of flowed down into my son as a young child. And so we did a lot of work, even when he was a young child about the forgiveness and the healing Because I believe that it's up to each one of us to find the healing of that ancestral wounding, the generational issues that we have today in the present moment, because then it does get carried forward into our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. Right. Because that energy is there. and, And now we know science has shown us through epigenetics and that type of thing that it actually does have a physical component mm-hmm. if we don't take care of it. So yeah, kudos to you because it's so important that that awareness is out there to do that with our for our children. Absolutely. Because the more we find ourselves in this need for the multi-generational living, the more families are going to be pressed with this situation. Because I know when I did have mom move back in with us, it was my mother, myself, my children, and my spouse. And so all of us together, thankfully our kiddos are still young enough and they are not married and having children, but that would be the next step. And that's like the new norm. And so what's not normal is for these multi-generational living situations for the families to understand what are these trigger points and what's causing this and how do we work with this? How do we fix this to make it 
a happy life, a happy way of living. Because the first thing I experienced was that feeling of the loss of freedom. Yep. And that yep. just adds to the stress. Yes, it really. And, and that's why I said, you know, early on that that was a blessing that I found. That wasn't something that I was looking for when we all started cohabitating together in this big house. Right. right. I didn't didn't even think about that because my mom was in fairly good shape. And, and, you know, but as time went on to be able to have my daughter-in-law and my son and for my husband and I to be able to get away and to have that flexibility. So mm -hmm. I was able to go on a couple of trips. I was able right. to feed my soul, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I could still go out with friends and, and do some of that kind of thing, um, which was just so important for my own health. And it was fine to allow other people to help take care of her and be around for her. So um, yeah, the flexibility and the freedom. And the other thing, like I said early on, is the financial piece of it. I actually left my job a year ago in January because I knew my mom needed me more. Mm. Uh, I left my, I had a day job that I was working with this school for Qigong. So I decided I really needed to be home more. You know, I just was focused on my coaching, but to be available for my mom. And so being in this multi-generational home really helped from a financial perspective for everybody because mm -hmm. it wasn't so costly of having, you know, the full expense of having our own home. True. Yeah, we could share in that. So it was like emotional support mm -hmm. and there was financial support and my daughter-in-law and son could have a bigger home with more amenities because we all shared in the cost of it you know, including my mom so that she could keep her independence. She mm -hmm. actually paid rent. She was insistent upon that. So it all just like really balanced out and was really a beautiful that I just never really thought of when we went into this kind of living. Right. Yeah. And I think it's great because now I love the benefit from great grandmother to granddaughter that great-granddaughter, that there was an actual opportunity to exist together and connect, especially the way that it turned out for your mother. Yeah, and I sent you the book, and, and the cover of the book is actually my mother and my granddaughter. It's the two of them, mm -hmm. a picture I'd snap, because they always were like nose-to-nose -nose and kissy-kissy. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. So how is it that, now, for families that are trying to deal with this and they are experiencing their grief along the way because it may not be the loss of their loved one at that point. They may be adapting to that loss of a job, which is what created their living situation or just other reasons altogether. How is it possible for the grief, for them to actually live with this grief and go through the stages together? Well, I think as families and, and especially being a grief coach where I, I work with people who have experienced, you know, the devastating loss of a child and that type of thing, um, we won't go on the same, there's no linear pattern to grief. Mm -hmm. There's, it's ups and downs and all arounds. It's a roller coaster of emotion. Mm -hmm. And you're right, grief, because we lose our independence as if we're the elders being taken care of. Mm -hmm. You know, we lose the physical capacity to do things. You know, my mom lost her eyesight in one eye. She lost her hearing. She lost the ability to be able to walk freely without a walker. Mm. You know, all of those kind of things and her independence of living alone. And, you know, I lost the ability to just be able to be freewheeling and, you know, think, okay, I'll just, you know, work and then I'll go play. You know, it's, I have other responsibilities here. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different group, you know, that different forms of grief, but I think working together of acknowledging it and allowing the people in your family to meet them where they're at and talk about it you know, and check in with each other mm -hmm. and talk about what are the feelings that you're feeling right now? Is it anger? Is it sadness? You know, my mom and I, I tried to have those conversations with her as far as trying to 
understand what were the feelings that she was going through. Mm -hmm. And I needed to express to my husband and my son and my daughter-in-law and everything, hey, this is where I'm at. You know, I'm crying because they didn't want to see me cry. I'm the strong one, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's like, hey, sometimes I just can't, I just need to cry. I need to release. So let's, let me do this and let me get my breath. So that's part of, you know, the grieving process. But this is what I know is once we find our purpose and our purpose may not just be solely taking being a caregiver. There are other things that we have come to this world to do and to be. For mine, it's helping people who are grieving, right? Right. Um, and helping them find peace and joy and understanding that grief and joy, grief and peace can coexist together. Yeah. We can, we can feel all those feelings and we can be happy and we can be deeply saddened. And Mm -hmm. that's part of it. They can coexist. And so how do we do this and take care of ourselves through all the things that we've kind of talked about, you know, doing, you know, understanding where you're at, creating some healthy ways of taking care of yourself, carving out some time, taking a bath, going for a walk, Mm -hmm. um, doing the things that are important to you, doing the forgiveness stuff, Mm -hmm. but finding what is your, what makes your heart sing. And finding your purpose in life. And I call that hope. And I coined that phrase, hope, honoring our purpose every day. So whatever that is, that really makes your heart sing. And maybe it's volunteering for something or it's writing or it's doing artwork, whatever it is, honoring that and bringing that in, even with your caregiving duties Mm -hmm. so that, but I know that when we, give to others, that's where we find healing in our grief. When we can look outside of ourselves and support other people, that's when we will find healing in our grief. Yes. Work through the grief in that way. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, this is, this is exactly why I wanted you to be able to come on with me today, because this is something that caregivers, whether they are recognizing they are caregivers or not, and they are in that multi-generational or they're headed in that direction, this may be something they can proactively step forward and seek before they're in the situation. Or this is something that while they're in that and they're finding themselves in that situation, that there is outside help and resources. Absolutely. How do our listeners go about finding you, Pat? They can go to my website, which is www.healingfamilygrief.com. Mm-hmm. And if they go on there, if they're interested in either one of my, I have eBooks available. The first one is um, how do I survive living life after child loss, which is really more the grief coaching, mm-hmm. which works for any kind of grief. It's not necessarily child loss. And then this most recent book, Living Life in the Middle, you had mentioned that, The Caregiver's Guide to Healing, Hope, and Harmony Through Multi-Generational Living. They can just go in there and um, order a free ebook, and it'll come right into their email. Or if they want to chat with me, they certainly, you know, I, I love to chat with people. So they can reach out to me that way. And um, I'd be glad to have a conversation with anybody because been there and done that. And I understand the <laughs> stress and strain and the joy, you know, I just want to finish up that again, my mother passed away on January 16th. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's much grief and loneliness and, and all of that because she was my mother. But I can say now, what, three months later, Mm -hmm. you know, we had a good run. And I am so glad we did the work to heal everything and that my siblings and I have you know, a stronger relationship having gone through this. And my multi-generational home has a stronger relationships that I am just so feel so blessed um, that this was the journey we were on. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you have them with you to grieve together and that you have the opportunity now to spend not just those short visits with your granddaughter, but with the family together every day. Yeah, thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time with me today. 
Thank you, Jessica. This has just been a wonderful conversation and I wish many blessings to you and your family. Awesome. I appreciate it. And I will gladly receive that blessing. So thank you for joining in and listening with us today. You can find more about this topic on the blog at jessicalazellcannon.com. We'll also have links for Pat's information if you missed any of that. I hope this gave you more food for thought. And until next time, be proactive. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please visit www.jessicalazellcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Cannon Light Media, LLC, www.cannonlightmedia.com. Music provided by Chris Paradise. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.